0: In his, uh, in his book, when, uh, when God Whispers Your Name, Max Licato, you know that name, Max Licato, tells the story of John Eglin, who had never preached a sermon in his life before the Sunday morning when it snowed And the pastor wasn't able to make it to church. (laughs) Eglin was a deacon. Not Not a preacher, a deacon. But he was faithful. And that meant on that particular Sunday morning, he had to preach. And at the end of his hesitant sermon, one young man invited God into his heart. No one at the church could appreciate the significance of what had taken place that morning. For that young man who accepted Christ on that snowy Sunday morning was none other than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The man who has often been called the Prince of Preachers. God blessed the ministry of Spurgeon. And when he was less than 30 years old, Spurgeon became the pastor of London's Metropolitan Tabernacle. His sermons were so powerful that although the building could hold 5,000 people, the crowds who came near to hear him were so thick they would line up outside just to hear him preach. Spurgeon was an amazing preacher. And ironically, it all started on a snowy Sunday morning with the faithfulness of a deacon who had never preached. Faithfulness means being committed to what God gives you the opportunity to do. Whether it looks like a big assignment or a small one. Giving a sermon to a handful of people on a snowy Sunday morning doesn't seem all that significant but it still required faithfulness. And God blessed it. That's a great story of faithfulness. And this morning we're going to look at a faithful church. The church in Philadelphia. The sixth out of the seven churches on this postal route in Western Asia Minor. Now as a reminder, these seven churches were real churches. And even though there were other churches in the region the Lord chose these seven churches to send His letters to. Churches that represent all churches at all times and in all places. Now, as has been my, my practice with the other churches thus far, let's look at the city of Philadelphia before we look at the church. Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love. And the city was so named to commemorate the love and the devotion that the II had for his brother and king, Eumenes II. Second. The city of Philadelphia was located about 28 miles southeast of Sardis. You probably got a map up behind me. It was the youngest it was the youngest of the seven cities and originally it was founded as a missionary outpost for Hellenism. the culture of ancient Greece. The intended purpose of the city was to spread the Greek language, to expand the Greek way of life, and to enlarge the Greek civilization throughout the Asian provinces. And consistent with its purpose the city was constructed with beautiful Greek buildings and architecture. And as such, it was also called Little Athens. As a reflection of this Greek culture, as one might imagine, the Olympian gods were at the center of worship in this city. And its chief deity, its chief god, was Dionysus, who was thought to be the god of wine. I guess wine needs a god. So Dionysus was the god of wine. Apparently, the soil in the area was very fertile. The city was rich in agriculture. It was a farming community. And vineyards were very popular there. And they became known, Philadelphia became known for its production of wine. Some of the things most notable about this city pertain to its geological location. And it's kind of a, it's a good news, bad news kind of thing. Philadelphia was built on a narrow pass between two mountain ranges. And as a result, the city of Philadelphia became the literal doorway to the east, to the rest of Asia Minor. The highway from Rome, called the Imperial Post Road, went through Philadelphia to go eastward. It was a road that connected one continent to another. And as such, the city became an important trade center. Have you ever traveled on a highway in the middle of nowhere like Texas? The middle of nowhere, approaching a town, and before you get to that town, you see a road sign that reads, next services, 150 miles, right? That prompts you to look at your gas gauge, doesn't it? That prompts you to ask if anyone needs to go to the restroom, and it prompts you to check your clock to see if you're anywhere near mealtime. And that's, that's, that's kind of the image I get when I think about Philadelphia before venturing further east into Asia Minor. Its location was good for the city. It was the last stop. But it wasn't all good. Because the city was built near a fault line. And it was in constant threat of severe earthquakes. In fact, there were a few times where the city was completely destroyed and rebuilt because of these earthquakes. Now when it comes to the church in Philadelphia, historically there isn't much known. Other than it was likely one of those churches that was founded as the gospel message spilled out of Ephesus to the other parts of Asia Minor. That's about it. But Jesus has something to say about this church that gives us a lot of insight. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 3, And we will start with verse 7. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Are you there? You might have it up behind me as well, I'm not sure. Okay, here we go. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write... He who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this. Let's stop there. This is his introduction to the church. And here, Jesus describes himself as holy. Holy in character. Holy in his words. Holy in his actions. And holy in his purposes. Jesus is perfect in all of his ways, without error, without falsehood. He is the Holy One, the Lord. Jesus is also true, meaning he's the original. He's authentic. He's the real thing. And when taken together, Jesus, who is holy and true, is worthy to evaluate the church. Jesus says he has the key of David, which speaks to his authority. And let me explain. Back in Isaiah chapter 22, under the reign of King Hezekiah, there was a man named Eliakim who served as the royal treasurer. Eliakim had the authority and the responsibility of guarding and accounting for the royal treasure and he was given the key to the vault by the king the key to the house of david he had the key and he had the access to the royal treasure and in a similar way the father has given the key to the kingdom and all that it entails to Jesus. Jesus has the key for he is holy and true and it is Jesus who has the ultimate authority to open and shut doors in our lives. That's what he does. I was reminded of the story found in Acts Chapter 16, a story you might know, where Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. They were beaten with rods and placed in the inner part of the prison. We could call it segregation. The inner part of the prison with their feet secured in stocks. From all outward appearances, this would seem to be a huge problem for them. A big hindrance in their ministry of spreading the gospel. But at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns while the other prisoners were listening. And then all of a sudden there came a great earthquake. The earthquake was so violent that all the prison doors came open and the chains fell off. The prison guard freaked out and was about to kill himself thinking the prisoners had escaped on his watch. But Paul told him to stop. They were all there. The prison guard brought out Paul and Silas, took them to his house, cleaned their wounds, and his family heard the gospel and all were saved. What initially seemed to be a big problem for Paul and Silas, the Lord used as an opportunity to open the doors to the Gentiles. It is Jesus who opens and shuts doors. That's what he does. When he shuts doors, we wait. And when he opens doors, we are to seize the opportunity and walk through them. Jesus continues in verse 8 and he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know your deeds. Jesus said those words to each Of the seven churches in Asia Minor. The church in Philadelphia had served God well. In difficult circumstances. And Jesus knew it. He knew all about them. And like the church in Smyrna. The suffering church. This is the only other church. Where Jesus had nothing negative to say about them. He offers no criticism and no condemnation to this church whatsoever. Again, an open door is mentioned by Jesus, which I believe is an open door for opportunities to evangelize and to serve others in ministry. And this makes complete sense if you think about the mindset of the city and their geographical location. If you remember, the city itself was on a mission to spread the Greek culture throughout the region. And a main Roman road goes through their city. So Jesus seems to be telling this church, I have opened a door for you to take advantage of this mission-minded culture that already exists. And to take advantage of the fact that a main Roman road already goes through your city. I'm bringing people to you. Jesus opened a huge door for this church. A church, hear this, a church he described as having little power little power. It's a little church. They were little in numbers and presumably little in resources and little in social status. And that's important for us to hear because sometimes churches like this think there is little they can do. But churches like this can trust the Lord just as well as anyone else. With simple faith, little churches can be just weak enough to be strong in the Lord for it's in our weakness that we truly depend upon God and his power is on display the apostle paul said something similar to us in 1 corinthians chapter 1 Verses 26 through 29. Let me read this. Listen carefully. He's talking to the church. Which are people, right? For consider your calling. Consider your calling. Brethren, talking to brothers and sisters. That there were not... Many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. These are God's qualifications for service. That's what they are. These are God's qualifications for service. And it would appear to me, looking around, that all of us are more than qualified to serve. So yes, God chooses little churches to do great things. And that's encouraging. It's not the size of the church or the resources of the church that determines its ministry. It's the church's faithfulness to the Lord. So when the Lord opens doors, it's reasonable that we faithfully walk through those doors. I think that is the expectation that the Lord has for those who are more than qualified to serve Him. There's a story of a guy who prayed this prayer every morning. Lord, if you want me to witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. That's a good prayer. One day he found himself on a bus when a big, burly man sat next to him. The bus was nearly empty, but this guy sat next to our praying friend. The timid Christian anxiously waited for his stop so he could exit the bus. But before he could, the big guy burst into tears and began to weep. He then cried out with a loud voice, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner and I need the Lord. Won't somebody tell me how to be saved? He turned to the Christian and pleaded, Can you show me how to be saved? The believer immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? <laughs> What's that, that? Yeah. Is this a sign? Do you think? The Lord is always at work around us. And when we see Him at work around us, that is our sign, our invitation. Our open door to get involved. Now if you notice, Jesus said two things about this church in Philadelphia. He said, they have kept my word and have not denied my name. In other words, the church in Philadelphia was true to the word of God. They kept it. They held fast to it. They heard the word and they were obedient to it. And secondly, they were not ashamed of Jesus, they were not embarrassed of Jesus. They expressed their faith and their loyalty. To him, and they lived their lives in a way that was consistent with his name, his character. Jesus faithfully carried their cross, and they faithfully carried his name. but it wasn't easy. And Jesus knew it. Look at what He tells the church in verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. And I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. The city of Philadelphia reportedly had a large Jewish population, and apparently the Christians were persecuted by some of these Jews. Jews in name only, who claim to be the true people of God. Their claim was based on biology, rather than on the basis of faith, like their own patriarch, Abraham. The Jews had likely told the Christians especially the Jews who had converted to Christianity. They were illegitimate and unloved by God, which was a lie of Satan. These Jews were in conflict with the Christians, shutting the doors to them in the community, But these Jews did not realize that it is Jesus who has the keys. And in a wild twist, Jesus promised that these Jewish people would eventually come down and bow down at the feet of these Christians which I take to mean, there will come a day, there will come a day, when the Jews will humbly accept that the followers of Christ are the people of God. The people that God loves. And without jumping far ahead this is the purpose for the tribulation period referred to by the prophet Jeremiah as the time of Jacob's trouble Jacob being another name for Israel the time of Jacob's trouble The purpose of the tribulation period is to bring the Jewish people and anyone else who is lost to the realization that a true relationship with God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. That day will come for the Jewish people because the Jewish people are special to God. Now, continuing with this end times train of thought, because it appears that Jesus is continuing with this end times train of thought. Look at verse 10. And Jesus says to them, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour, which is to come about upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. At first glance, we can tell very quickly that these words from Jesus to the church in Philadelphia involve something more than this church in Philadelphia. For we are told that something will happen that is beyond. A local event. It's beyond a regional event. But it will come upon the whole world. So it's a global event. Jesus describes this global event. As the hour of testing. Some translations may read the hour of trial. But whatever the case, it speaks to a period of great calamity and affliction. And most Bible scholars see this global event as a reference to the tribulation period, which will impact the whole world. This is much more than the difficulties and the trials and the hardships that we endure that are common to all people. This is something entirely different. This is an event that includes the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment upon those, Jesus says, who dwell on the earth. Who are those who dwell on the earth during this tribulation period? That phrase... Dwell on the earth is used nine times in the book of Revelation. And each time it is referring to unbelievers. Plus, to dwell on the earth implies the earth is your home. But for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. We are just passing through. Strangers in a foreign land. Because we have a what? A heavenly home. And our citizenship is not here. In this book, there are people of God and then there are people of the earth. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So this tribulation period, which is a season of affliction and wrath and judgment will be global in nature and it will involve the unbelieving inhabitants of this earth. Well, what about the faithful followers of Jesus Christ? What about the church? In this verse, Jesus makes A promise. And he says, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Jesus tells the faithful church that he will keep them from this worldwide tribulation period. Now I will tell you. There is a long-standing debate about this, and let me explain, okay? There are many well-meaning Christians who sincerely believe the church will go through the tribulation period, or at least part of it. And therefore they interpret this promise from Jesus a little differently because they have to. Instead of understanding this verse to mean that Jesus will keep you from or keep you out of the hour of testing, they interpret it by suggesting that Jesus will preserve you through the hour of testing. Hear the difference? Not from, but through. I cannot, personally, I cannot accept that interpretation for several reasons. One, if the Lord did not mean to say, keep you from, he could have used other words, but he did not. Two, we have already learned the inhabitants of the earth during this period are those who have rejected Christ. Three, the Apostle Paul tells the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God has not destined us, the church, for wrath. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, during the tribulation period, there will be lost people who are saved, who repent of their sin and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord. That is the intent, right? And except for a small remnant, these new Christians are not preserved through the tribulation period. They are martyred, they are killed by the Antichrist and his followers. So I believe this world-wide hour of testing, this tribulation period, is not meant for the church. It is intended for the Jews and the lost people who dwell on the earth at that time. The church, I believe, will be kept from this season of affliction and wrath and judgment. And all I would ask is that you would hold your horses because we'll get into this a little more deeper in two weeks, okay? Two weeks. Okay. Let's press on, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continues with his promises and he tells the church in Philadelphia, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus promises he is coming quickly meaning that when he does come for his church it will be sudden and unexpected so while they waited they were encouraged to hold on to what they had to keep on doing what they had been doing They were to continue to walk through the doors of opportunity He had opened. They were to continue to depend upon Him, and they were to persevere in their loyalty and faithfulness to Him. And with that came a great promise of permanence. Jesus said that for those who overcome, they will be like pillars in God's temple. If you recall, the city of Philadelphia was destroyed a few times by earthquakes. Remember me telling you that? Their buildings and their Greek architecture crumbled and collapsed and oftentimes when this occurred the only things left standing were the huge pillars in this symbolic image of using a pillar jesus promises a position of stability and permanence in the new Jerusalem, the ultimate temple of God. We're also told that for those who overcome, they will be privileged to bear His name. As believers, we identify with Jesus. And here Jesus tells us that he will identify with us. In the ancient world, when a slave was freed, he often kept the name of his master and was even granted his master's social status. Though born into bondage, A benevolent owner could give that slave a new identity, a new citizenship, a new name. That's the promise for those who overcome, for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So our challenge, like this church in Philadelphia, is to depend upon the Lord no matter our size and resources. To persevere in our loyalty and our faithfulness to Him and to walk through the doors of opportunity that He opens to us. One stormy night, an elderly couple entered the lobby of a small hotel and asked for a room. The clerk said they were full, as were all the other hotels in town. But he said, I can't send a fine couple like you out in the rain. Would you be willing to sleep in my room? The elderly couple hesitated, but the clerk insisted. The next morning, when the the man paid his bill, he said to the clerk, You're the kind of man who should be managing the best hotel in the United States. Someday, I'll build you one. The clerk smiled politely, but didn't think much of it. A few years later, the clerk received a letter from the elderly man, recall recalling that stormy night, asking the clerk to come to New York with a round-trip ticket enclosed in the letter. When the clerk arrived, the elderly man took him to the corner of Fifth Avenue and 34th Street. Where there stood a magnificent new building. That, explained the man, is the hotel I have built for you to manage. The man was William Waldorf Astor. And the hotel was the original. Waldorf Astoria and the young clerk was George C. Bolt he became its first manager faithfulness let's pray father I thank you so much that you work in our lives that you work in our church Father your words were so encouraging to this church in Philadelphia they've caused me to ponder a lot of things during these weeks I thank you Father that you use small churches to do great things Father, help us to be true to your word. To be obedient to you. Help us to be loyal to you, Father, and faithful to you. Never to be embarrassed or ashamed for following you. And Father, give us eyes to see the open doors around us. Father, help us to be faithful to you. Father, I'm asking you to work in my life, in my heart, and that you do a work in the heart of this church, in the life of this church, and that you would cause us to be the kind of people you desire us to be. May you be honored and glorified in the community of Amboy, Washington. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, Trish and I were, were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Yeah, being a military man, you know, you kind of move around and so we were in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I belonged to a, a Southern Baptist church there. And I was I was tasked with with canvassing a neighborhood just to see what, what people thought our church could do to serve the needs of the community. There was no hard sale, there wasn't any, you know, you know door knocking you need Jesus it, it was just it was just going going to, to doors and and identifying who you are and and just saying you know, what 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 do you what do you think a church should be doing in this area that's that's all it was I remember going to to one door in, in a neighborhood and identified who I was and where I was from and I had a little I can't recall what was on it but I remember giving it to the gentleman at the door and he took the paper and he crumbled it up and then he put it in his mouth and chewed on it for a while and then he spit it out. I remember very clearly that's not a good feeling, is it? Could you just imagine doing that? Not a good feeling. But I was faithful. And instead of just walking away, just giving up, I mean, that, that could be traumatizing to a lot of people, right? But instead of giving up, which I could have easily done and people would have understood. I knocked on the next door. Identified who I was, where I was from. And the guy said to me, what took you so long? I've been waiting for someone to come tell me about Jesus Christ. Kind of like the guy on the bus. <laughs> is, that a, is this a sign? <laughs> yeah. Caught me totally off guard. But he invited me into his house. I shared the gospel. He prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The Lord just calls us to be Faithful. Because the results are His. How often do we forget? The results are always His. Always His. Not ours. We're just called to be faithful. To do what He tells us to do. To wait when He tells us to wait. To walk through the doors step by step when He opens the door. That's what we're called to do. No matter the outcome, does that make sense? I'm a firm believer that the Lord is doing something in our area. Not entirely sure what. But I just got that something just there's just some I don't want to call it churning. But there's just something, I was talking about it in the men's group. Something's going on. I I mean, there's, I, I just, I have a strong feeling that the Lord is preparing us for something. Do I know what? I have no idea. But it has to start here in our hearts to get us prepared to walk through the door. Whatever that might be, I don't know what it could be. Are you ready? He just calls us to be faithful to Him. He knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly what He's doing. The results are His. He just calls us to be faithful. Be faithful. Hope the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I really do. I'm just so. I'm just so. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm just so grateful to be here. In some respects, I feel like Philip. Philip was doing... He was in the middle. He was in the middle of this great ministry going on in Jerusalem. Hundreds of people were being saved. It was craziness. He was in the middle of it. He had to be on fire. Man, it was just It was just nuts. And then the Lord <laughs> pulled him out of that. I can hear Peter going, "Lord, I mean, I mean, I mean we're, we're rocking. This is rocking and roll here. What do, you, what do you mean, Pull me out of this?" And the Lord just pulled him out of this and put him on a, a lonely dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And who did he meet? The Ethiopian eunuch, who came. Know Jesus Christ as His Lord and Savior, and probably took that all the way down to where He was going back to Ethiopia. In some respects, I just I I feel like that's that's the Lord's going to do something here. I really don't. I'm I'm excited about it. I don't know what. I don't know what, but I'm excited about it. I hope you get excited about it as well. Again, I hope the Lord's moved in your heart this morning. I hope he has. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I mean, be honest about that. If you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you about him. He loves you dearly. More than you would ever, ever know. He died for you. He died for you. If you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you. This is a great church. Great people. I love this church. Is there anything else that's on your heart. I would love to talk to you as well, whether it be this morning or, or Monday or call me, text me, whatever whatever that looks like. I would love to talk with you. However the Lord moves you this morning, I just ask that you be faithful and obedient to Him. Thank you for coming this morning, and I I, I hope it was a blessing to you. Let me, let me pray for our offering. And also for our our fellowship. Uh, Father, again, I just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Father, you're so good to us. Thank you, Father, for including us in your ministry. It's your ministry. Father, thank you, Lord God, for working in our hearts. You'll never give up on us. Father, thank you for, for making us more like your son. You're so good. Father, I thank you, Lord, for giving us, again, a part of your ministry, Lord, and that, that involves also our tithes and offerings. Lord God, I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver. Father, help us to be cheerful givers, to be excited about your work. As a church, Father, help us to use your money wisely. Again, it is your money. And Father, for our fellowship, Lord God, bless those who have brought food and prepared food. And Father, just bless this time of fellowship. May you be honored and glorified. Draw us closer to you and closer to one another. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.